0: Live from the
1: heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. The eyes are still on Florida, but now the eyes are on South Carolina into North Carolina because Ian has picked up the strength. Uh, Category 1 seems to be where it's, it's at. Will it'll it'll make landfall today? Possibly while we're on the air, and it's going to make its way through uh, to to North Carolina. Not just on the shore, but as it goes through, probably a tropical storm as it hits the western part of North Carolina. Tony Katz, Tony Katz, today. Good to be with you. Uh, the phone number eight three three. Got Tony. I said I'd take calls. I said I'd do it. 833-468-8669-833-GOT-TONY. These texts between Elon Musk and Jack Dorsey, these texts are extremely important because what these text messages state is that the faith in Twitter is zero, that the idea that Twitter is this platform of free speech is not real. Twitter exists to promote specific narratives and voices. And it was so bothersome to Jack Dorsey that he knew he had to leave. Now, I I, I must say, I have a hard time with painting Jack Dorsey as uh, a a hero in this conversation. Because I believe that if your company is engaged in something destructive, you must say so. You must say, hey, this is destructive. And you must stop it. At, 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 at At a loss, whatever it takes. So the story goes. That the text messages, as, as they, 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 they read out, part of the text messages, as they read out, state the fact that what you have, or what you should have, is a new platform. But maybe not a new platform. Because what Jack Dorsey said to Musk in Messages... Is I believe it must be an open source protocol funded by a foundation of sorts that doesn't own the protocol, only advances it. A bit like what Signal has done. I'm I'm on Signal, but I, I mean I use it as a text messaging service. I don't even know how else I would use it. Jack Dorsey continued in his conversation with Elon Musk, it can't have an advertising model. Otherwise, you have surface area that government and advertisers will try to influence and control. If it has a centralized entity behind it, it will be attacked. This isn't complicated work. It just has to be done right so it's resilient to what has happened to Twitter. And what happened to Twitter, what happened to Twitter is all narrative all the time, all ideology all the time not being a place where people can converse and share and think. It doesn't even allow for thought to grow and build. It opposes the very concept of thought. Elon Musk thought that what Jack Dorsey was discussing there was a super interesting idea, his words. But Dorsey continued, I'm off the Twitter board mid-May, then completely out of company. I intend to do this work and fix our mistakes. Twitter started as a protocol. It should have never been a company. That was the original sin. Well, then, ain't that something? You become a company. You've got shareholders you're responsible to. Maybe that's why you can't blow it up. You're responsible to these people now. You created this this hellscape, and because you're responsible, people get paid from the hellscape and invest in the hellscape. You can't destroy the hellscape. Elon Musk respi- responds with, I'd like to help if I'm able to. To which Dorsey states, I wanted to talk with you about it after I was all clear because you care so much, get its importance, and definitely help in immeasurable ways. Back when we had the activists come in, I'm not sure what they mean by the activist. Jack Dorsey continues in his conversation with Elon Musk, I tried my hardest to get you on our board, and our board said no. That's about the time I decided I needed to work To leave as hard as it was for me. To which Elon Musk says, You know, I put a, you know, loved the comment and followed up with, Do you have a moment to talk? Dorsey says, About to head out to dinner, but can talk for a minute. So it seems clear, it seems obvious that. Dorsey saw what Twitter had become and said, oh, yeah, this is no good. But the people who run Twitter absolutely love what Twitter is and think that it is a good. They think that it is necessary to say Donald Trump can't speak on this platform. Oh, no, no. No, we have standards. No, Donald Trump, he pushes lies. I tell you lies. You want to see the crap that gets put out on Twitter every single day? If lying on Twitter meant you couldn't be on Twitter, there would be nine people on Twitter. And four of them would be bots. I mean, that's just the way it is. But the idea that this can't work in a financial setting, that's interesting. That would be a conversation I would sit down with Dorsey for and be like, well, it could if you were openly political to begin with. So, for for example, can Getter or Truth Social work if if it was three dollars a month? Could could it work? I don't. I, I'm I'm asking if if you had a platform. We are for people on the political left, on the political right, in the political middle. We are for black people. We're for Jews. We're for we're we're, we're for Hispanics. I mean, dating sites do it. There's JDate and FarmersOnly.com and Christian Mingle. Clearly, there are, these are segmented audiences. Why can't that be true? For these social media places. Well, Tony, that's the problem. Everybody's involved in their own, in their own bubble. They, they, you got your own little civilization there, and that's 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 not helpful. I don't know if anybody asked for it to be helpful. It's just what they want to do. They want to talk to people who are gonna agree with them. They want to talk to people and all they want to hear is absolutely right. I didn't say it was healthy, but they 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 can do it. The question is, is there an economic model that works there? But if you actually want to be the town square, then you have to not put yourself in a place to be corrupted. What Jack Dorsey is discussing, and uh, based on, on, on the text, what Elon Musk is in favor of is the actual town square. I assume that name is taken and already copyrighted and all that jazz. That's seemingly what people want or at least what they want I put forth to you it isn't actually what people want I don't actually believe that in the end people want the town square which is strange because I'm in radio and radio is the closest thing to it I put out a phone number 833-468-8669. 833 468 8669. 833 got Tony. That's that, that that's my number. You can call in and talk to me right now. Now, there are some calls we, we don't take. That's, that's absolutely true. That is absolutely positively true. There's some calls where people are, are cursing or, or, they're, or they're screaming. It's like, yeah, I'm not putting you on the air because I do have a responsibility to the audience and to the station. I do have FCC regulations that I have to follow. I have to be cognizant and cogent of all of these things. But compared to any other medium... This is the place of immediacy and this is the place where people can agree and disagree or throw out questions or ask you know ask about philosophies and all those kinds of things and just be very, very clear with it, which matters and matters uh, quite a bit. But you'll note and, and and this is true. I am often asked, how come you don't have Democrats on? Oh, it's not that I'd be opposed to having a Democrat on. I', I I'm no problem with the conversation with somebody that, that I disagree with. But now the question is, is that what the audience really wants? Hmm. Based on data? Nope. What I have found, based on my eight years here, is that what people want is, okay, they want to hear the totality of the conversation. And then they want to make the decision on their own. They want to hear the totality of the conversation. They do want to hear my take. But then they want to be left with that information and that data and figure out how they go about it, how what they think of it. Not so much that there is a, a real, real desire for he said, she said. I am not convinced that there is a massive place for Hannity and Combs. Remember Hannity and Combs? I I I don't um, I don't I do not think that there is a real desire for that. There is sometimes a desire to hear from smart people about smart ideas. Just to hear the ideas on that, I am all in. I've often discussed the fact that all I want to do is talk to smart people about smart things. Right? That's what I want to do in my everyday life. Just want to talk to smart people about smart things. I've actually uh, 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 passed the sketching out point and uh, now uh, setting up the interviews to be able to do this. I, I have a a video series idea, and I, I, wanna, I want it to come to life, so I'm just bringing it to life. Just one more thing, whatever. I do think that there is an audience for that. Do I think it's as big as the audience that wants to be part of the self-affirming selective, that wants the confirmation bias on every side of the aisle? Gosh, no. The people who want confirmation bias, oh, absolutely. I say this and everybody agrees with me. That's where the biggest audience is. In this world, that's where the biggest audience is. So I go back to what Jack Dorsey is saying, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it would work. I don't know. But I'd love to see you guys try it. Love to find out. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. The states' rights argument—that's the slave state argument. That's like—and let's stop—and let's use plain language. What the Supreme Court's trying to bring us is states' rights, and they mean 1860s, Actually, I think it's even deeper. Deeper than states' rights is—it's—it's because it's, it's, the state. What they're saying, state supreme courts, we won't even I, listen to you. It, so they're it, like, it's the rights of white majorities it, it, in those states right. In the if state that, legislature. Which is yeah.
0: what states' rights yeah. really yeah. meant, yeah, yeah. that's my
1: point. Yeah, they don't right? want to listen to they, their own court. Well, so, but <laughs> this is the point, though, is you, and, and, and this is why, and I, I want to go back to what Roland said, what we do in states matters.
0: It's actually about building the power in the states as well in order to press, in some instance, you saw it happen in Kansas after Dobbs, as women went right. up, were up in arms, they said, you ain't going to change our constitution, our state constitution.
1: And they voted and didn't change the state constitution. But the idea that the rights of states is a slave state argument Maya Wiley is making there. Whoo. But then again, I got introduced to something. The, this idea of independent state legislature theory. And I'm like, what in the world? What, is, what are we discussing? Are we discussing whether or not states have rights? Are we pretending that the whole concept of federalism doesn't exist? What? The argument is this idea that somehow the states aren't the ones that decide the election rules in their state. Really what this is an argument about, as, as I see it off, off the cursory, is that we need to have more control of elections so our people win, so therefore states shouldn't have rights. Tell me if I'm close. The idea that state legislatures aren't in charge of how their elections work seems to me to be nonsense. It would be equally uh, as 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 nonsensical as to say that state legislatures aren't uh, somehow also... Um, connected to the federal government in what they can and can't do. It would seem to me to be radical, absolutely radical. I went over to election law blog, uh, Richard Pildes, P-I-L-D-E-S. I'm not that familiar uh, with, with his work uh, a Sudler family a professor of constitutional law, NYU School of Law. And what he writes here is that uh, th- this idea, independent state legislature theory, would not permit state legislatures to ignore the popular vote in the presidential election and appoint electors after election day. State legislatures, like any other state actor, are bound by the due process and equal protection doctrines that apply in the election context— among other things this means that state legislatures cannot treat votes unequally or arbitrarily. The RNC also acknowledges that due process uh, and and uh, are those principles deny a state legislature the power to retroactively change the rules either formally or in practice. It, look uh, this is this is all new I have never heard anybody talk about independent state legislature theory but the idea that states rights is a throwback to slavery and slave states and domination well I have heard that before and I've laughed out loud the states the whole concept of states rights was uh Well, uh, first when we talk about the Articles of Confederation, and then we saw that in the Articles of Confederation that the central government component was simply too weak to be effective. So that engaged a further conversation about the strength of the, the federal government. But it's not theory, let's say, when you get to the 10th Amendment of the United States Constitution. The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. So there was already this conversation within the the Bill of Rights that states had rights. And there were plenty of states, even at the start, that were not slave states. So how does one now make the argument that the idea of states' rights de facto is a slavery argument. Well, I think you make it if the desire is for centralized power of the people. It would seem to me that this is a way, a desire to prevent states from having a rule you don't like or a demand in terms of, I don't know, ID that you don't like. But then you would be calling having an ID to vote bigoted or racist, and in that case, you should be laughed out of the room. We'll get into more of this. This is Tony Katz today. The 2022 College Football Playoff National Championship, which is a heck of a lot to say, generated sales of $156 million. That, kids, is good money. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Chris Gall joins us right now. He is with Visit Indy. These are the people who help make the conventions and the big things happen, and of course, We are a a sports town, but I was going through the reporting on this, Chris, uh, from Mickey Shuey over at the IBJ, Indianapolis Business Journal, uh, IBJ.com. They got that number from a group called Rockport Analytics, and they compared it to a $150 million projection the city made in 2017 when it announced that we would have the championship uh, on January 10th. So 156 in realized versus 150 in projected, in a world that has had levels of inflation, do we consider this a massive victory or do we consider this a bit of missing the mark and things learned to be able to generate more dollars in the future?
0: Well, thanks for having me on, Tony. It's it's a little bit of both, but, but mainly a victory. And here's why. Uh, keep in mind that in January of this year, the world was still pretty much under pandemic control. And so being able to, Uh, exceed the pregame estimate of $150 million in impact. Uh, The the event at the beginning of the year, uh, generating $156 million uh, for the city and the region, we'll take that as a W. Um, That was a a key piece of our recovery as we now glance back over the last couple of years that that game could stay in place, was not moved, much like an NBA All-Star game moved from 2021 into 2024. That CFP National Championship, stayed in place, and our hotels, who were in desperate need of recovery, realized a big share of that with uh, virtual sellouts downtown and throughout the region. So we were very uh, happy with the result of that game. Those That long four-day weekend in January in the cold in Indianapolis to, to exceed the pregame estimate, even when you take taking consideration all the variables and inflation, et cetera, it was a big win. Uh, we also saw in the report that 76 percent of those who visited said they would visit again and uh, that's music to our ears when you think about repeat visitors who were here maybe for uh, one game one weekend in January during a pandemic that they would want to bounce back and so we're happy to see that in the report as well.
1: One of the interesting numbers in this in this study and by the way I'm all I'm all cheers man I'm all very very happy about this and you have to recognize this is the middle of January this is this is fantastic fantastic stuff more of these uh, the, the the merrier the study showed that about 56,000 people visited Indianapolis spending an average of 281 dollars a day The question or one of the conversations I always bring up is that Indianapolis needs more for the residents of Indiana to be able to spend time in downtown outside of the bar restaurant scene. Now, this 281, I assume, includes uh, hotels, uh, etc., Is there a number that Visit Indy has that this is the number of people we're looking for, and outside of hotel spend, we would like for them to spend X, and some of those people are Hoosiers, and we would like for them to come down and spend Y?
0: That's a great question. So, yes, the majority of that spending per day is made up by hotel. Uh, A visitor spends the most on a hotel stay with food and beverage and then shopping and transportation falling in after that. Indiana residents, central Indiana residents, uh, these are the kind of events that we're fortunate to have in our community that can attract you downtown, to, to have you invite your family and friends. And so uh, we would think roughly half of that spend per day should and could be made up by central Indiana residents who would have gotten a reservation at a restaurant, maybe hit a boutique on Mass Ave, Ubered home, and created that visitor spending as a resident. And so it's incumbent on us as people who care about our community to, to keep finding ways and and, and, and events and activities to get back downtown uh, to support the tourism hospitality industry and to take advantage of things like the college football playoff national championship like new exhibitions at our art museums to to soak in as residents
1: talking to chris gall of visit indy they bring the good things to indianapolis Uh, so the question of course is what comes next? You'll you'll hear people talk about why haven't we brought another Super Bowl uh, to Indianapolis? Look how well it went last time. Well, you got to promise people good weather, uh, but y- y- you got it the last time, and it worked out exceptionally. You talked about things that Indianapolis has been able to put off pull off well, like the NCAA uh, 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 championship uh, things with basketball, and of course what we just saw with with, with football. Uh, but the, the the question before us is: What is really next? Where is the growth opportunity? Is it all in the sporting events to which, of course, Indy made its bones, or are there other things, other unique things going on out there that visit Indy is like? We've identified X, and for the past number of years, we've been trying to solidify that as the future.
0: We are fixated out out of this pandemic as one of the leading cities in the nation who hosted live events during the pandemic. To continue to go very aggressively after major trade shows, uh, major conventions that have been held in Chicago, that have been held in other peer and uh, co- competing cities. And we've had great success in attracting them down I-65 from Chicago to Indianapolis. That is always part of our strategy. In addition to that, uh, as we look to expand and still in 2022 put shovels in the ground to expand the Indiana Convention Center across the street at Pan Am Plaza and put the Signia Hotel in place, We have to start selling today for conventions that will take place in 2030 and beyond. In fact, just next week, we'll be in Washington, D.C. We're one of two finalist cities for a large citywide convention. It's between Indianapolis and another Midwest city for 2030. This is a $60 million piece of business that we want. And so we're going very aggressively saying we are an ascending city and we're a city that's growing. We're a city that has a world-class airport and we can host events from the Super Bowl to the College Football Playoff National Championships. And we're expanding and getting bigger. So uh, we're being very aggressive, Tony, on the tourism front to be first out and continue to be first out of this pandemic.
1: You know, I, I, I say to you uh, when we talk about this that I, I'm a cigar guy. You know this. My show, Eat, Drink, Smoke, larger cigar radio uh, uh, program, cigar and bourbon program, radio-wise, uh, in terms of markets in, in the country. Um, and I would love to see the Premium Cigar Association, which is questioning the long-term viability of Vegas, come to Indianapolis, but Indianapolis won't let you smoke a cigar at the convention center. How much business do we lose here in Indy from either a regulatory scheme or a, a generalized distaste of, oh, that's not the kind of thing we want here?
0: Well, you know, there's a convention for everything. And I was, I was so intrigued when you brought this up. I, I think Indy welcomes all. And so we need to find creative ways. To make sure we welcome all groups and so we pledge to you to think about how do we how do we get a group like that out of vegas is there a way is there a path to have them meet comfortably in indianapolis uh so that we can we can continue to to grow the the tourism portfolio so uh, nine times out of ten there's no obstacles nothing in the way uh, with ordinances or or laws on the books Uh, we're usually a welcoming city for all and so let's find a way to carve a path outside to, to see if we can bring that group here, and, and again, the best meetings, I'll tell you, and all your listeners, we're, we're the biggest cheerleaders and champions and advocates and advertisers of our city. And you do a great job advocating for the state and for the city when you're on the road and on your, on your program and on your show, on social media. When, when Hoosiers, when Indy residents get passionate about bringing a convention or a group to Indianapolis, that's when we succeed. Uh, it's, it's that piece of the puzzle that we often need. So let's, let's work together, see what we can do.
1: Look at that. He just recruited me into doing work. That's, that's just what happened. Chris Gall's like, hey, don't tell me about the problem, Kat. Solve the problem. Exactly.
0: That's, that's what he did. Right, uh, there. And you Chris got Gall
1: is his name. Visit Indy. Is the place uh, good work? Uh, and uh, honestly, if if I can figure out how to to bring them here, I I want to bring them here. I, I there there is not a, a question. This is a fantastic cigar smoking town. This is a fantastic cigar smoking state. There are opportunities uh, galore. Uh, let's go make that happen. So I'm in for the conversation, and you and I will have a, a cigar and figure this out. Chris Gall, I appreciate you taking the time. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. Uh, the ports, Tampa Bay, Miami, Everglades, uh, they are reopened for fueling. Uh, and I think between today and tomorrow, all the ports in the state of Florida, uh, up and down the both coasts, will be uh, operational. That's good news. That is good news for the state of Florida. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? Find everything. tonycats.locals.com TonyKatz.Locals.com. What do you want me to do? Send you to Facebook? Pfft. That is not happening. That is not happening. I've got so much audio that I haven't gotten to yet. Uh, like angry Bill Belichick from uh, The Patriots.
0: Day by day, is getting better. See how it goes. Day by day. Does he have a high ankle sprain? Day by day. What do I look like? A doctor? An orthopedic surgeon? Like, I don't know. Talk to the medical experts. What are the medical experts on staff at? By
1: day. He's, I'm sorry, it's awesome. It's so good. It is so good. It it what what was Marshawn Lynch? What was his answer to every question? Was it yeah? Right? Wasn't that it? When he was told he had to show up to the to the um uh, to to the media days and answer the questions, and he would go, yeah, yeah, that's it. Day by day, that, that's uh, the Bill Belichick version of, yeah. Then there's Ginny Thomas, the wife of U.S. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, who got called in front of the January 6th committee. Called in front of the January 6th committee and was like, yeah, I think the election was stolen. What of it? And here's Representative Benny Thompson, who runs that committee Leaking the info. Did she express um, her belief that the election was still stolen? Did she believe that? Yes. Can you character- she- can you characterize what she is not answering? What she's refusing to answer? No. So
0: you're saying she still believes it, 2020 election like was stolen, yeah. and she's? Did she-
1: did she- I think it is so problematic. That First, that that you're calling Jenny Thompson to to testify in front of this committee is ridiculous. That you think she's going to say anything other than what she's already said is ridiculous. And then you leak it because who's going to believe you? I'm only going to believe the one side of this, one part of it. Come on now. That's a hard one. That's a little silly. You got to know that's a little silly. You got to know that's a little pathetic. Not as pathetic as this doctor from Planned Parenthood saying, oh, yeah, men can give birth. Dr. Kumar, can biological men become pregnant and give birth? Um, So men can have pregnancies, especially trans men. Stop. 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 Everybody stop everything. Everybody in the sound of my voice. No more work. Everybody sit down. put, Put down the coffee coffee is for closers listen to what i'm saying men cannot give birth well that's just great just a fact just a fact anytime you hear anything like this dr kamar can biological men become pregnant and give birth um so men can have pregnancies especially trans men anytime you hear that you should hear this in your head what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things i have ever heard at no point in your rambling incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it men cannot give birth not now Not never, not ever. It has never happened in the history of the world, and it never will. Men cannot give birth. So why would you say this? And then you say it this way. Men can have pregnancies, especially trans men. No, they can't, because trans men aren't men. Now, listen to me carefully, because I'm not going to be told I'm a bigot. I'm up for the fight. You, as an adult, make decisions. I don't have to appreciate it, approve it, or accept it, or even understand it. I can point to a million subjects, not a trans subject, but a million subjects, to which I hear what people talk about, hear ideas they have, watch them do things and be like, nope, I don't get it. I'm not there. I don't understand it. Nope. You live your life, but if you are a woman and make the claim that you're a man, you can get pregnant. If you are a man and claim that you are a woman, you cannot get pregnant because only women get pregnant and no man in the history of ever has ever gotten pregnant. So if you're a woman and make a claim that you're a man and then claim you're a man who's pregnant, this isn't true. That's a lie. The biggest problem is that you want me to accept your lie. You want me to digest that lie, and you want me to live with it. I'm sorry. I don't know who the hell you think you are, but I won't do that for you. I won't do that to myself. I won't do that to my family. I will not ruin them. I will not ruin myself by absorbing lies and lying for you and somehow thinking your lie is truth. I won't manipulate myself and I won't let them watch it. I don't care if you're insulted because you don't give a good holy damn about insulting me. And I really wish you would. Because within that is decency. You don't ask for my acceptance, you're right. You don't need my acceptance to live your life. You ask me to lie to you and to lie for you and to lie around you and to lie to others, including my family? No. No. I'm not doing that. If that means we can't be friends, that's okay. If it means you want to call me names, don't worry, I'm willing to fight. You want me to lie to myself. You want me to lie to others. So you can engage this way. I won't do it. I never got asked whether you thought I thought it was okay. You don't get to ask me to lie for you. You don't get me to ask me to lie to you. And men have never and will never have children. I mean, I guess there's science a thousand years in the future. But then again, I was promised flying cars by now and that hasn't happened. So... I'll stick with with my numbers. It ain't happening. Men don't have children. I'm Tony Katz.